The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live. And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyot. Please, folks, do me a favor, rate and review the podcast Lead Lag Live on Spotify, on Apple. Any help there is always appreciated. And also during this hour, please, folks, click that top arrow at the top of the Twitter space. Invite some friends, colleagues to this space. It does help when the audience is able to bring in some of their colleagues to this as well. With all that said, my name is Michael Guyad, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the hour is Mr. Justin Smith who's going to tell us a little bit about how to identify the next big trade. Justin, for those who are not familiar with you, introduce yourself. Who are you? How did you get involved, interested in markets? And what the hell is stage analysis? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks, Michael. really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. Uh, yeah, actually, my name is Justin Smythe. It's kind of spelled funky without the E at the end, but I do pronounce it Smythe. But anyway, yeah, I've been interested in the stock market since I was in high school, which is like the late 1990s. And I guess uh, I, I got an engineering degree, but I graduated in the early 2000s and just set out on my own stock market education after that. And through reading a number of books, a lot of them were fundamental based to start and kind of working my way into technical analysis. I eventually stumbled upon Stan Weinstein's system, which is known as stage analysis. And unfortunately, I found it kind of when 2008 started, but I wasn't really even attuned to the system as much to even take advantage of it when, you know, 2008 rolled over and that bear market and I was doing some stupid things with options back then. And that was one of my first major battle scars in the market. But um, I stuck with it after that. I launched Next Big Trade in 2011 as my website, and I've just been posting about the stock market on there for the last 12 years. I've also been on Twitter since then. So anyone that's familiar with stage analysis, I think a lot of people know me on Twitter because I've been around for a while posting about it. Um, I know Stan Weinstein himself has been back on the internet doing different things, which is really awesome to see. But I think like I've become one of the places people go for stage analysis related content, content too. If you're not familiar with stage analysis, it's basically a trend following system that uses weekly price action to determine the four stages the market can be in. I'll go over those really quickly. The, the stage one is a basing phase where the weekly price action is going sideways around the 30-week moving average. So if you picture a stock chart, the price is kind of chopping sideways at a low. And then all of a sudden, when it breaks out, above resistance, it would start to go into an uptrend that would be called stage two. And that's what we're interested in on the long side is buying stage two breakouts. And then as the price continues to trend higher in a bull market for a period of time, eventually it tops out and starts to go sideways again. That's stage three, the topping process of a, of a stock or ETF or whatever. And then finally, you know, everything tends to roll over into a bear market eventually. So stage four is the declining phase where the stock's going down below the 30-week moving average in a bear market. So it's a it's a pretty simple system as far as understanding the overall market. Stan Weinstein wrote the book in the late 1980s, and it's kind of maintained a following ever since then. Personally, I think it's the best system that I've found to trade the markets. And I've studied a bunch of systems, so I, I just like stage analysis the best. And I think you can use it to trade any market, really which is exciting if you want to 
you know, poke around in commodities or currencies even. I think anything really that you can plot on a, on a chart can be traded with stage analysis. So it, it, it sounds to me it's, it's just a variation or sort of a similar idea to the Wyckoff kind of pattern. Yeah, actually, I haven't really studied Wyckoff, but yeah, I've, I've heard them reference. Uh, I don't know if he had the four stages, but I know he's got like this, the Wyckoff spring, I think it is, that kind of starts like the breakout into maybe stage two. So I think that might be similar. But yeah, I think even Stan Weinstein himself, I know like Justin Mammis, I think, contributed to the system. And, you know, there might have been some authors previous to Stan Weinstein that that actually kind of flushed the system out. But then Stan Weinstein took a hold of it and, and wrote that popular book in the late 1980s. So the uh, the weekly time frame, I think, is actually really, really important. I've done a lot of back tests on all different signals and strategies daily from all the work that I've seen tends to be wildly noisy. Intraday is wildly random, which you can argue is also noisy. This weekly interval tends to sort of be the sweet spot. And a lot of my own white papers focus on weekly timeframes. So when people say to me, oh, you know, lumber to gold is breaking down today, you know, doesn't that mean risk off? It's like, no, it's it's not based on the, the very, very, very short term. It's based on rolling, rolling weekly type of behavior. Do you do anything that's that's daily? Do you consider daily movement or do you believe that the weekly look back period is sort of the the key to getting better returns? I really like weekly charts. I think from a daily perspective, a lot of times when stocks are gapping up or down on huge volume, the gaps in particular are easier to see on a daily chart. Maybe zeroing in on consolidations and price action where there's tight like volatility contraction patterns, a lot of times those might be easier to see on a daily chart versus weekly. Those are the type of things technically I would go down to a daily chart to look at. I, I'd never really go down into interday charts. I don't think those are useful for a a system where you're trying to trade over a weekly time frame. But yeah, daily is useful for things like that. Weekly, yes. Like I think Tuning out the noise, I think on a on a daily basis, a lot of times people are trying to find answers for why stocks are are doing something on a particular day. But in the grand scheme of things, in the overall trend, a weird move during a day might just because a fund decided to dump its position and knock the stock down temporarily. But if the overall trend is still higher, then there's really no use in like the average retail trader even caring about that. And that's where like the the 30-week moving average gives you a buffer. Like if you're if you're not worried about the volatility above a, a longer term moving average, then you can hold the position longer, you know, and 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 maintain good risk management too without getting knocked out with this volatility. So I think that's really the key there is 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 tuning out the volatility and just focusing on getting a piece of a trend that's gonna last longer than just a few days. Which you and I both know, Fintwit is not not exactly good for center people around that, right? Because you know the, the short termism is beyond hilarious in my view. There's, there's so much noise, and you mentioned being and doing this for a while. Do you think that over time, you know, Fintwit analysis that's seen on social media has gotten more short term because you've got now so many more players, you've got no commissions, and does that make the longer term trend noisier or even more entrenched i do think people are very yeah attuned to the short term now because of yeah like it's everywhere on fintwit you can get price data anywhere at any time and you know watching the ticks tick by tick i think can really get people off track because it's just information overload that you might not need yeah i think the in terms of some of the moves we've seen like over the last few years, I think we have seen obviously some very sharp, dramatic moves in a short period of time, like obviously the COVID crash and the 2021 when you had the kind of the meme stock finish of that major bull market where it went parabolic. Those those type of things can happen over a short period of time, but we're still seeing longer term trending moves as well. Like, for example, one asset that went up for like 60 weeks last year was the US dollar. I know a lot of people don't trade currencies versus stocks, but the U.S. dollar was a major trending asset last year that people could have switched into, I guess, you know, to avoid the bear market. And also even the bear market itself last year 
the stage four downtrend in a lot of stocks lasted weeks and weeks and weeks. So there, there's another example of a very long trend. So I think, yeah, we're seeing kind of both. I think people get really sucked in by these very fast moves, like like in GameStop in 2021. But there's also larger term trending moves to take advantage of as well that people might overlook if they're just looking too much at the short term. So let's talk about some of those longer term trends. I mean, you, you can argue that there's a whole bunch of new leadership that's taking place. For whatever it's worth on the dollar point, I find it remarkable that people don't seemingly understand that the dollar cannot go up forever without there being a collapse in the system, <laughs> right? Or right. Yeah, the dollar can keep on weakening without there being a collapse in the system. I mean, currencies are mean reverting. I can't tell you how many people would show me these these charts extrapolating trend lines on uh, the dollar. And it's like, dude, currencies are mean reverting. They're not supposed to be buying hold investments, right? That, right. that keep going up. So, but But on the point about longer secular cycles, first of all, and trends, what are you doing to identify them? What are some of the interesting ones that you're paying attention to? And then perhaps more importantly, what are some of the longer term trends that might be ending? Because you and I both know the problem that a lot of people have is recency bias keeps them in a trend longer than they should be in. For sure. Yeah. As far as identifying trends, yeah, typically just using stage analysis is how I how I do that. So really, it's just the weekly price in relation to the 30-week the moving average. In terms of what's been going on recently, we're seeing a lot of different assets trying to break out into stage two right now, including the major indexes, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, even the Russell 2000s, you know, trying to move higher and break out of a base here. We're also seeing bonds are kind of in stage one and trying to figure out which way they're going to go next. I think the the shorter term bonds have broken above the 30-week moving average, but the longer term ones are are starting to break down even like as we speak. So that's going to be an interesting development, whichever way that breaks to determine maybe what happens with stocks too, because, you know, obviously the, the major bear market and bonds last year, I think, put pressure on interest rate sensitive stocks as well. And although you have the home builders breaking out now with a strong, you know, move higher. So that's kind of a contradiction to what is going on with bonds. So I think, yeah, I think overall, there's lots of new stage two activity, like new uptrends trying to form. But the question is, you know, is the bear market going to, does it have any more ammunition left in it? You know, are some of these going to break down or not? And the U.S. dollar hasn't, you know, is is in stage three now. It, w- it was kind of moving into stage four into a downtrend, but it's kind of poked back up a little bit over the last couple of weeks. So that's something I'm watching too, because that was the major thing that the the bear market, everyone flooded into the dollar last year. So if the dollar continues to act weak here, that might be, you know, bullish for stocks. In terms of like individual things inside of stocks, I've been really looking at technology. I think technology's had a monster run to start this year. And some of these artificial intelligence related stocks have taken huge volume coming out of stage one bases. And also the semiconductors are acting really strong as a group. I think uh, the major leaders like NVIDIA are are doing really well. And you've got some new IPOs like CRDO that's just broken out of a base as well, IPO base. So those are two components of technology that I'm I'm focused on right now. I'm curious, is the technology side surprising you? So I... I just put up that post on Instagram, consistent with my point about diversifying and trying to move more towards there. It is amazing to me if you look at the the technology select sector spider ETF XLK, and you divide about that by the S and P. Technology is basically in line with the S and P five hundred going back to like August of twenty twenty one, despite all these narratives around high their long duration plays, higher rates for technology. It's performed in line. A lot of that is obviously because of the resurgence this year, right? No doubt. But is that is that surprising to you that that there hasn't been more weakness in technology? You know, that's an interesting question because earlier, late last year and early this year, I started out because the the Chinese stocks really started breaking out on volume in November and December last year, and then it, emerging markets and foreign stocks really started breaking out as well compared to U.S. stocks. They were starting to make new highs and outperform. And so I, I was thinking that a theme might be developing there where foreign stocks were going to start outperforming U.S. stocks. But then I know a lot of this might be a short covering rally, and I'm still a little bit skeptical of of the the bellwether fang stocks really outperforming here. I don't think they're going to outperform given the bear market they've gone through. But 
perhaps there's like another yet another sector of technology that's emerging here, like semiconductors with the build out of electric vehicles and other things like that, maybe like the grid and artificial intelligence. Those type of things seem to be really catching a bid here, and especially with the volume coming into these stocks too. So I, I am taken by surprise. I didn't think technology would turn around like this, given that it did outperform so much. But yeah, it should be interesting to see. We've There's a lot of stocks that recent IPOs in the tech space, if they start continuing to break out, I think that gives you further confirmation that tech's actually on a comeback trail here. But if they don't, then the opposite's the case. So it's for me, it's always the weight of the evidence, just continually looking at the market, seeing what the market's trying to tell us. And over the last three or four weeks, it's very it's been very tech focused and and the volume's been pretty good too on some of these individual stocks. So I think that could continue this year. But I'd argue that it's not a coincidence that as tech has picked up emerging markets, at least in the last several weeks, despite, you know, my longer term argument that we're in a secular cycle for emerging markets have been weak. A lot of the, you know, broad based emerging market funds and access vehicles, they tend to be more value tilted, which means they tend to not have tech. So obviously there's the, you know, tech specific emerging marketplace, those act quite differently. But if you're going to have, you know, a return of money into technology, that probably for a moment in time means not as much interest in value sectors, which means not as much interest in emerging markets. Exactly. I think, yeah, the the thing that what people love about looking at emerging markets is that monster kind of sideways base that's gone on for 10 plus years now. And Which, by the way, I, I hate that base. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you why, and I, and I, by the way, I say that purposes. Maybe that's actually an interesting offshoot. I have to assume that the stage that you're in makes the likelihood of using momentum signals more or less accurate in terms of performance, right? So if you're in a basing pattern, you're going to get whipsawed because you're not going to have a, a, a tailwind in terms of an uptrend. So you get a momentum signal and then it falls off and you keep on going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Probably if you're stage two, right, market's trending higher, less whipsaws, momentum works. Exactly, yeah. And the, and the key is really getting that stage two breakout where you're breaking out of a stage one base and – the the earliest stage one the the earliest breakout is the breakout of the stage one base so it's actually maybe after a stage four downtrend then you get the stage one base then you break out into stage two that's like the earliest time to buy and capture most of the uptrend and yeah you're right emerging markets have essentially gone through the stages more quickly and had a lot of choppy action that's resulted in very quick you know maybe like stage two uptrends that last just a few months then they top out roll over and it creates this entire just massive basing thing that is really annoying people because it doesn't ever go anywhere over the long term but until it does you'd hope right I, I, right yeah it's like that that's one of my main arguments is that one of the reasons emerging markets didn't really do all too much all that much for the last decade is because the u.s had this unfair advantage of qe with qe3 and zerp so all this money flowed into the s&p because the effect of zero interest rate policies that squashed volatility in u.s stocks so you know, if it's like, you know, less risk for more return, then all the momentum players go there. Not as much momentum goes into the emerging market side, which don't have that same benefit. And, you know, that's why I think it's going to be interesting, right? Because it seems counterintuitive, but I'd argue that higher rates normalizes the playing field of risk for U.S. stocks and emerging markets, which might make valuations for emerging markets matter more, which should bring it with it a breakout of that long stage one base. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the Chinese stocks really were taking massive volume at the end of 2022. So that's one of the first things that really like drew me to this sector. And they're, they're definitely a big part of the emerging market. So I think they can, they're still, they haven't broken down yet back into, although there has been a pretty big correction, like you said, in these emerging markets, but the Chinese stocks are still technically in a new uptrend here. So it should be interesting to see where they go after this correction. I know there's a lot of saber rattling right now with the geopolitical stuff, but I just stick to the charts for the most part. So, you know, I think they're still intact right here. And then even I think Mexico is another one where it's breaking out of a, a monster basing formation. And there's been a lot of those copper stocks have done really well recently, too. So it's not just China. And, and you have the currency aspect because the U.S. dollar has been in a bull market for you know, like 12 years now. So if all these currencies can 
go back into uptrends against the U.S. dollar, maybe that's more attractive for foreign stocks. And then, you know, it just flips this whole thing that's been going on for 10 years. And, and then the foreign stocks are are more popular. Yeah. And actually, you're even furthering my argument around QE3 and ZERP. I mean, that, that is the era, right? It was September 2012. So, you know, part of that, I remember back then, a lot of people thought that zero interest rate policy and QE meant hyperinflation was coming. <laughs> from what the Fed was doing, and then the dollar would tank. And to your point, it was the opposite. The dollar should strengthen. And my argument would be that it's because money flowed into the dollar because foreign investors saw that the Fed was doing anything and everything to squash volatility. That it, I would argue, it actually created an artificially high dollar, despite all these in quotes dollars being printed. That's more of a contrarian take, but I think it's it's worth considering just given the price action. Exactly. Yeah, and, and plus you had the the dawn of the fang era and all these companies are domiciled in the united states so it's like the since tech has been a large component of u.s stock market for so long that benefited the u.s as well i think and you had those major stage two bull markets in in the fang stocks which again i think they've gone undergone a major bear market here so it's unlikely that they're going to be the next leaders but I don't know, like this this whole artificial intelligence thing with Microsoft, you know, maybe like going against Google and stuff like that, that might spark some interest in in those type of things again. So, yeah, it's interesting to see what's going on here. I, I, I'm in agreement with you. I think emerging markets look pretty good here. But you also have this emerging tech theme again that's kind of compartmentalized maybe more towards a couple different areas that's kind of breaking out here as well. So. You know, we'll see what happens. And obviously, we don't, you know, if, if we roll over into another bear market down, like, then that kind of squashes everything. Sure. Yeah. I would say that Bitcoin's another one to me that's unlikely to be another leader anytime soon because it's got so much overhead resistance now after a major bear market. And you really had the speculative phase that really blew off in 2021 with the, all the alt crypto that really went into major parabolic tops and then has crashed since. And typically what happens to a sector like that when it goes through a bust is it needs to base for a long time and kind of work out all of the overhead resistance and all the trapped money that's trying to get out. And then after that basing period goes on for a while, it, it might move into an uptrend again. So I would say that, I mean, Bitcoin might have a little bit more room to run as it gets kind of more into some resistance, but I wouldn't really look for it to be the next near-term leader. You know, after the 2017 major run in Bitcoin, it still took a couple of years for Bitcoin to base out again and then break out in 2020. And I think that even was maybe a quick turnaround in that case. So typically, a good rule to follow is that the last major asset that went through a, a major bull market is is not usually the next leader. And I think that applies to Bitcoin. Let's talk about uh, duration of time for a moment with the different stages. I don't know if you've ever done any sort of work on this, but you alluded to it, right? I mean, when you're in a basing pattern, it can last for a long time, years, right, of, of sideways nothingness until things are exhausted or there's some kind of catalyst or some kind of change that happens fundamentally. That can be an interesting dynamic, though, right? Because if you were, if you believe in big bases, the longer that something's in a base, the more violent the uptrend could be whenever it turns, because it's contrarian trade at that point. Do you, do you factor in how long something's been in a particular stage as a as a way of uh, expressing a, a a very bullish or very bearish bet? Yeah, for sure. I think, and actually, I've I have a software engineering background, so I've also built like this screening tool to use stage analysis that's on my website and. One of the data points that I put on that is the number of weeks it's been in a particular stage. And yes, you can never really say, like, there's no average that's, you know, you can't say, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy a new stage two breakout and it's going to last 40 weeks this time and I'm going to make a bunch of money. Like, there's these things, you can have a quick move higher over a couple of weeks or you can have a long-term trend that lasts over a year. You never know really what's going to happen, but Yes, like when something's been in a stage two uptrend for a long time, like take the U.S. dollar, for instance, last year, there was a Barron's article that came out in October talking about how strong the U.S. dollar was. And the U.S. dollar had been in stage two for 50 or 60 weeks at that point. And it was just a great contrarian type of signal that, you know, 
And then the dollar started kind of topping out and not making new highs. And then, you know, it just aligned perfectly. So yeah, you don't want to be chasing things that have been in stage two for, you know, 40, 50 weeks because they've been in an uptrend for almost a year or more. And then, you know, you've probably missed the meat of the move. I think, but that happens to people is because they get attracted to things later on in the uptrend when the media starts talking about it and their friends start talking about it. And unfortunately, that's not the good risk reward time to buy anything. <laughs> I mean, you might be able to catch the parabolic top, but then if you don't get out, then then you're going to be in deep trouble. Just for the remaining uh, minutes here, everybody, please make sure you follow Justin Smythe here on Twitter. Check out uh, his site, his screener. I'm actually looking at it as we speak. This will be on all your favorite platforms under that lead lag live banner. Do you do any kind of options trading when it comes to the stage analysis side of things? Because, you know, that's I always have a problem with options just because I think it's very hard to explicitly time when something happens. The conditions are there, but you don't know the exact mile marker and the mile marker needs to hit in in time for the contract before it expires. Uh, Do you do any kind of options work? I do a little bit. I mean, if something's not as doesn't have like the alpha that I would like, like, for example, if I'm going to get into silver and I want to play silver metal, I've traded the SLV options before because you get a little bit more juice there. And, and if you buy like a deep in the money call, you know, you can still go out multiple months and try to capture a trend and, and not be paying for premium, you know, and, and so I think that's kind of a good mix, especially when you're in a sector too, like that, where like, the mining stocks are are more risky perhaps and you just want to really play the metal itself yeah and in individual stocks i would be really less apt to trade options i mean if you're doing i have sold puts before just to capture maybe a little bit of volatility while i'm trying to like trade a trend too so i might have a position in a stock and then if it's having a bad day i might sell some puts on it you know to capture some of that volatility maybe and and you know, if it, it's still in the, it's still in the trend though. That's what I'm interested in. But other than that, no, I don't I don't do anything else with options really. And I'm mostly trading stocks, I guess. So I've never done any like condors or any of that stuff with options before. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, again, I always have a problem with the idea that you can exactly know when something is going to happen. That's why I always try to frame things in terms of conditions. Okay, so aside from emerging markets and tech, any other any other interesting parts of the equity landscape that look intriguing? So I'm a big fan of sector analysis. It is interesting that last year you had so much outperformance in utilities, staples, healthcare. Uh, and now they're fundamentally overvalued on a relative basis. So they may not be as much of a good safe haven as they used to be. What other sectors are maybe starting to show some some interesting movement? You mentioned home builders, consumer discretionary stocks have had a nice run relative to equity to start the year. Do you think this stuff continues? Yeah, I don't see anything. I mean, home builders are acting really well, even in the face of the interest rates are maybe attempting to move higher here. And the home builders are acting extremely well. The industrials are acting well too. I've seen a number of of stage two breakouts recently on volume in those stocks. Healthcare is interesting because it held up so well during the bear market. It is kind of a defensive sector, so maybe you expect that. But it, it does have this large basing pattern that it still hasn't really broken down from. And I remember like the period from 2011 through like 13 or 14, I think like biotech started breaking out and there was like a big boom in a lot of the biotech healthcare stocks. I was kind of thinking that maybe something similar was going to happen here with this healthcare outperformance during the bear market. But 
there were some biotech breakouts on strong volume in December last year, but then there really hasn't been much since then. So I'm not really seeing, yeah, I'm not really seeing the follow through in the healthcare that I thought maybe we'd see. And that just goes back to what's, I think like the tech really has been where the volume has been going recently. Precious metals have, they did come off the bottom. They, there was an interesting failed breakdown in silver and gold where they didn't make lower lows while the dollar was making higher highs. And that lasted for a couple of weeks to maybe even like a you know month or so. And that was a good sign that the, the metals were really starting to get stronger. And, and they, they moved into that uptrend for a few months there, but then they've broken down recently and, and aren't acting right anymore. So I, I don't think precious metals are the place to be either. So for me right now, it's tech with, with the emerging market, with the China, Chinese stocks, are something I'm still looking at too because they they haven't broken down yet and they've they had all that volume coming out of that that breakout. If they can really firm up here, they might just continue their stage two upturn as well. And they've got a huge, like we said, that huge base that's annoying. But I mean, you know, from a value perspective that, that you look at too, I'm sure they're probably on the lower valuation side. So I don't really care about that as much. But you know, it, it might attract the institutional money maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, well, actually, I think that's that's kind of the the point, right? It, it, listen, nobody wants to invest in China until China has momentum, right? I, I'm sorry, it's just that's the reality. I, I talk to so many advisors, and they always reference statement risk, right? The idea that if they're managing uh, a separately managed account of some high net worth client, and they put a fund that has in the name of the fund China, that the client always pushes back. I don't want to invest in China. It's done nothing. It's geopolitical and stuff. All that stuff, all those reasons go away the moment there's momentum, which means <laughs> stage two, right? I mean, which means you've broken out. I mean, and and there's there's a there's even even from a sentiment perspective and and waiting perspective, it makes sense. I, you know, I'm going to assume that in stage one, these kind of sideways periods, there's underinvestment because there's no momentum. People say this is not doing anything. There's no action, right? So I'm not going to allocate to it. So it becomes underweight, you know, to, in most portfolios. Then stage. Two when it starts, gradually overweight, then maximum overweight, just as you're about to turn, right? I mean, a, a lot of the the stuff, even just on the Wyckoff side of things, is ultimately very much rooted in in you know sort of sentiment and weightings during those periods. Exactly, yeah, and you nailed it. People don't care until it's been in an uptrend for a while, and they're like, "What am I missing out on?" Where the stage analysis system, you get the volume explosion out of the base. And you basically are, are are placing a trade saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but if the odds, like the, the volume explosion, the basing, like the breakout from the base, and when you have sector confirmation, like you alluded to, where a bunch of stocks in the same sector are doing the same thing, that increases your odds of success, you know, and trading is just a, an odds game where you're trying to, you know, tilt the odds in your favor. Nothing is, you know, destined to always work, but if you do tilt those odds enough many times maybe you're going to be successful over the long term and again like these breakouts from these bases are where you can catch these trends that might last multiple months the thing is though you don't know what's going to happen so you when you're catching when you're trying to get into something that's already happened you have the confirmation that it's already there but then you then you're not getting in early to where to benefit from it so people always kind of wait for the confirmation because they want they want the you know, and which is not the way, right way to really put the odds in your favor. You've mentioned volume a few times. I tell, I, I tend to be a little bit cynical of the idea that volume tells you very much. Maybe in the past it did, but because there's so many you know, different ways of accessing different stocks, different ETFs. I mean, the volume on on anything you know may not be as predictive as you can argue it once was. Am I off on that? Is is volume not as important as maybe it used to be? Is it is it not important at all? Is it really important? What do you what, what's your take on sort of the way that people view volume as as a confirming type of uh, signal? To me, I think it yeah, it's it's not going to give you a guarantee that something is going to work, but it I I think it tilts the odds in your favor because it gives you an indication of sudden interest in something that wasn't there before. And it's really, the stock market is just supply and demand. So to me, it's an indication that the supply demand all of a sudden is out of whack. And again, it doesn't tell you that the trend's going to 
necessarily persist, but if there's a sudden supply demand imbalance, the volume will show that. And then the question is whether the trend persists or not. And whether the trend persists, a large part of that really is the health of the overall market. Are we in a bull market or a bear market? When we're in a bull market, you can get these big sector moves because the overall market is supporting investment into different sectors and and those sectors tend to outperform. But in a bear market like 2022, it doesn't matter how strong the fundamentals are for anything. Stocks are generally being sold and you know they might temporarily break out for a couple of weeks, but then they just roll over and, and the bear market you know, sucks them in and spits them out. So to me, it's really when the market is healthy, when the market's in an overall uptrend, you get these volume explosions in, the, in these sectors, that's where you hone in on you might be able to catch a, a leading sector and that's where you can make, you know, a good trade over the long term. And I, I think that's still valid today. I, I've heard I actually had the same question when when Stan Weinstein resurfaced over the last couple of years. He started talking about volume again, and that gave me confidence as well that he's been doing this for, you know, so long, 40, 50 years. And he was still talking about volume being important. Where are we on the stages for the broader market now i mean you know we can debate whether it's a bull market or a bear market from here to tomorrow to me these terms are all meaningless it's like the, the media says you're in a bull market because the s&p goes up 20 percent from some lows it's like you entered a bull market no you've been in a bull market because you went up 20 percent off the lows <laughs> um right it, it, it always drives me crazy but what's your sense of where we are just kind of from a from a big picture standpoint it was was last year it or you suspect that there might be still lower lows coming we'll be back after a quick break foodies unite with how you dish it's social media with a secret sauce food the world's first network for food enthusiasts how you dish connects foodies across the world share kitchen tips and recipe hacks discover hidden gem food joints and street food find foodies like you connect chat and organize meetups how you dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world so how do you dish download how you dish on the apple app store now Well, we have a longer term base now. If you look at the weekly price of, I've got the NASDAQ pulled up here. It, it made an important low in June of 2022. And it made a few other lows in October and at the end of last year that were just slightly lower than that low in June. But if you look at that overall structure, that's six or seven months in duration. And we're in from a stage analysis perspective, we are trying to break out into stage two here. So we are trying to move back into an uptrend. And the question is, yeah, is this breakout going to continue or, you know, is it going to roll over and maybe we move back into stage one or, or worst case, we roll over it again into the, you know, continue like the larger, maybe bear market, you would say. But one aspect of what's going on now that I like is that there's just multiple sectors trying to break out. I mean, there's home builders, airlines we didn't mention. Airlines broke out recently. Tech is breaking out. Foreign stocks are breaking out. You know, there's so many things that are moving higher right now that at no point during the 2022 bear market did anything like this happen. So I think things are are changing and we just have to kind of continue to see what happens here. Also, again, that bear market trade last year, the, the U.S. dollar is not... It still hasn't moved technically back into an uptrend yet. So, you know, that doesn't happen. That might be another benefit for stocks. But I, th I think we're, yeah, we're in a potentially a new uptrend. There's a lot of skepticism, which tends to go along with a new uptrend, but we just had a pretty nasty bear market. So it's understandable. Yeah, the sentiment, it is, it is, you're right. I mean, no, I should not be surprised by the kind of pushback I get when being, bullish i mean I, I use the term melt up and everyone attacks me or not everyone a lot of people tend to attack me for the terminology not understanding that it's a short-term dynamic um but that that doubt is what creates the conditions for things to go higher i mean there's a reason why there's that term wall of worry exactly yeah actually just side note you had a tweet i think it was yesterday that really cracked me up where you said michael keaton as batman is is Bullish as hell for stocks. <laughs> and I think I use the term bullish as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that was that was awesome. But um 
Let me make it a little bit serious for a moment. I know this is going to sound like a strange transition, but when you have people excited about anything, right, that's not typically a bear market. It's not. Like, I mean, you, you can look towards listen, even I don't know, man, it's just like I see all this. this there's a lot of talk about negativity, but then everybody wants to go out there and spend. Everybody wants to look for the next big movie. Everyone wants to go to the next big concert. Everyone, I mean, you don't see it in, in the economy yet. OK, I understand the stock market should be discounting it, but the, the stock market last year should have discounted a weaker economic consumer spending environment this year, which you're clearly not seeing. So there is there is an interesting disconnect that's still happening. Right, I'd argue in terms of the bearish sentiment, how bad last year's equity performance was on a real return basis, and then what you're actually seeing and what people are gravitating towards just from an entertainment perspective. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting. I don't remember. It seems like everybody still is employed right now. Maybe that's the difference. Is you know, I don't. Again, I don't really follow economic stats, but I don't really know anybody that's out of work right now. And in fact, most people are starting businesses or, or moving around still, it's, it's, it seems like to me. So maybe that's why the sentiment hasn't gotten that bad, even though the, the equity returns were, were terrible last year. Also, people made a lot of money in 2020 and 2021. So if, you know, if they were a little bit more conservative, maybe they didn't get as hammered last year. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Like, do we need more bearishness or not? I'm, I don't really know. I don't, I don't think Twitter is really super bullish right now. But I thought Twitter was kind of bearish leading into 2022, and that was wrong. Obviously, we got smoked in 2022, so sentiment's just hard to hard to gauge. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't disagree Un, until they start insulting you, in which case you know what the, what the sentiment is, right? <laughs> I've been on the on the tail end of that. Let's go back to. Yeah, I mean, just to be honest, I don't look at fundamentals like that. I try to even. I actually used to mix fundamentals a little bit with stage analysis earlier on, and I felt like that was being too confusing and and not getting to the core of of looking at the price signals and and volume. So I've pretty much cut out all fundamentals except for things like short interest and market capitalization. I'll look at that to, to determine how a stock can potentially trade. But yeah, definitely not looking at silver cost of production. Yeah, I think silver longer term has that same basing structure that you know, there was a, a pretty explosive breakout attempt in 2020 and ultimately it topped out fairly quickly. And then, you know, there was kind of a longer term rollover period for silver. And then this recent move higher just had no volume behind it. And th that was something that was really irking me. Like, even though the entire precious metals complex was moving higher again, like, and that's like the volume signal, there wasn't the volume there. And then we have seen silver kind of rolling over again here and just not acting right. And like the precious metal stocks, you've got a bellwether like first majestic silver that, you know, almost always outperforms silver when silver's trending higher and and it just did nothing when silver was breaking out recently. And that was a, another sign. When you get these key mining stocks that don't follow along with the metal, that's like a red flag just blaring saying something's wrong here. So those are the kind of things that I look at, like the, the confirmation, the confirmation across the precious metals miners was not there. So I would I would look for that to set up again. Maybe we just base longer here for the metals and then maybe we break out, we get the confirmation and that might launch that back into an uptrend. I will say also I think the um, I mean, if it's consistent with the Wyckoff method, the the uh, fundamentals lag Wyckoff. Right. So there's like a there's a there's a there's a stage analysis you can argue for fundamentals but it's on a lag against equities because equities will tend to move first and then the fundamentals will follow yeah yeah i think you get these things where people can't figure out why a stock's doing what it's doing and you know a lot of times i feel like the biggest moves in stocks happen when there's the least amount of information about what's really going on and it's it's a lot of it's based on just emotion and and just interest in a sector that all of a sudden emerges like you know take the cannabis stocks for example in 2018 there was never any there was theories about how profitable they might be but nobody really knew and you had a monster stage two move in a lot of those stocks in 2017 and 18 and then once they've topped out and rolled over here they've just been nothing but a disaster so so when the the fundamentals were ambiguous, you know, and nobody really knew what they were going to do. That's when you had the most profitable trades in those stocks. And then, 
And then now it's just like they're just in stage four for the most part and not doing anything. Yeah, but if you when the move is that fast, sometimes they might break out. And, you know, if you're trying to use good risk management, they might already be way above the moving average and kind of very risky to trade at that point. I remember AMC, it kind of pushed out of its base initially, and then it kind of had a short couple week consolidation. And then it really broke out after that. And that's where the meat of the move was. So sometimes when you get like these early little pushes on some volume, then it kind of consolidates and then you can get like the the tail end of the monster move. I think uh, one that I caught in 2020 was Tilray went crazy over just a very short period where it or 2021 during, yeah, all that madness, like Tilray went nuts all of a sudden, and then it just collapsed. And yeah, so I think if you're paying attention and seeing the volume, you can kind of catch these moves, but you have to be quicker. And you're, you know, if you're not in front of the screens, you're probably going to just miss them. But again, like those are like the hype parabolic blow off crashes that they do exist, but you know, you can also catch these big trending moves as well. So you got to just kind of, you know, maybe understand what you're dealing with and, and go with that. But yeah, I think you can always, if you're scanning for volume, you can always, you know, as much work as you put into it, you can, you can see these detect these things as they're starting to move pretty actively, I think. Yeah. But, but, but I think the, the going back to weekly versus daily. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. It goes back to that discussion, right? It's like, okay, so you might have these explosive moves on the day, which can be again, noise or random. So to your point, driven by structural things and leverage and options, but right. it's not that tradable, whereas, you know, weekly timeframes, you know, monthly tend to be much more – you can be much more comfortable that it's likely to persist. So a lot of the, the studies that I've looked at and that I, I myself have done show that this the, there's a term called autocorrelation, right? So in other words, that the, there's a correlation in terms of past performance continuing. So autocorrelation tends to last strongest in the three- to four-week period, which is why momentum timeframes in the one-month-to-one-month tend to be strongest. Daily is very, very noisy. You tend to actually have more mean reversion within the week, right? So in other words, big ups tend to be followed by big downs or vice versa. You tend to not have that kind of mean reversion week to week. So the problem with the meme side is that people got excited by these one or two day extreme moves, but it's actually very hard to model out anything from that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're you're playing with fire with, with those moves. And I remember once that thing stopped, it was just completely over, you know? And if you were, if you caught the tail end of that, you were just wiped out so that's that's the problem there and yeah that that goes back to like the market structure too like that occurred at the end of that big 2020 after the pandemic or after the covid crash you've got a year-long bull market that really blew off with those mean stocks and then the market changed behavior after that then you had a lot of sideways consolidation and a lot of things that's when like the arc arkk funds they all topped out and then the the FANG stocks continued to move higher in 2021. They kind of trended for a while. And then like the bear market got a hold of everything in like November, December 2021. And everything started rolling over after that. I guess I'm not totally sure what that means. But um, so you're basically saying like you're more passive investing versus trying to trying to actually time technical moves in the in the stock. So, yeah, I would look for the price to move above the moving average too. Then if it's you get the volume signal, the price for me still has to be in the right configuration where you're breaking out of a base and you're moving above the moving average and then and you're moving into stage two potentially. Like that's where when all that lines up, that's where I would uh be looking for a trade. If if that volume signal occurs further up in the stage two uptrend or if it occurs like even in in like a potential stage three top, I would not care about it because, you know, technically the price action is in the wrong position. And then I also look at things like in stage one bases and stage three tops, what you call failed breakdowns and failed breakouts where you get a volume move that tries to occur above the consolidation and then it, and then it moves in the opposite direction instead and moves backward, you know, like that's where you can get these failed moves that become fast moves in the opposite direction. And when you bring up cannabis, that's rings a bell for me. Cause I remember when I think the legislature or like in Canada, when it became legalized, you had this monster failed breakout in all those cannabis stocks. Like it was like a sell the news event and they all just crashed in 2018 after that. But that was also when the bear market started. So you had the overall pressure from the 2018 bear market came in 
and smoked everything as well. And and then the cannabis stocks, you know, as well with that. But yeah, that's that. So yeah, for me, price, where price is, is critical. It's not just the volume signal. With cycles, I've, I've looked at that before, but I don't, I don't think it really applies to stage analysis. They're trying to like catch the very bottom of something, depending on a, a time signal with the cycle. And with stage analysis, you're, you're mostly looking for a little bit of momentum to be there first. And then you are basically getting on to that momentum move and using the volume as like confirmation with the momentum. So I think their cycles and stage analysis are, are two different things. Technicals, specifically chart patterns for me, I don't really care about like pennants and triangles and all that stuff. You know, I, it's great if people like to use that stuff, but I, I don't think it, you, don't, you don't need to use that with stage analysis. And I like the failed breakouts and breakdowns because that gives you the the change in supply demand. And that's really what we're looking for here. Understanding, you know, where's the demand, where's the supply and and those type of things are, I think, are really apparent on the chart sometimes when you get these failed moves in either direction and then the trend reverses. So I like to look at that. Support and resistance obviously are are important with stage analysis and and those are technical things as well. But I don't think the chart patterns really apply for to stage analysis as well. It's mostly just um, using the moving average and using volume and resistance and support. I think that's a good place to wrap this space up. Everybody, again, please make sure you follow Justin Spieth here on Twitter. Check out his website. Uh, Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Justin. Really do appreciate your time here. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.